0: Welcome to Makers on the Rise, a collaborative podcast hosted by me, maker and photographer Christina Nicole. Makers on the Rise is for product based creatives who own their own business and want to learn how to grow a profitable, sustainable, and scalable brand aligned with their personal values and goals. Tune in for real conversations and coaching focused on elevating your brand. Are you ready to rise? Hello, loves. Welcome to episode two of the Thriving on Etsy series. Today I have Liz Bach with me joining me to talk with you about the reality of selling on Etsy. Liz is the owner of Shop Intaglio, a printing and engraving company. She's a six-figure maker on Etsy, Amazon, and her own website. Liz, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started as a maker?
1: Hello, I am so happy to be here with you today. I um, run a printing and engraving shop, as you mentioned. I run it with my family here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We do a lot of work where we combine uh, old school techniques such as painting and photography with some newer things such as laser cutting. And i put it all together with a little bit of computer programming, a little bit of fine art and just tumble it all together, get cool stuff
0: out the other end. I love that. Now, um, you also have a background in science, correct?
1: I do. I went to school for uh, science research focused around astrophysics, which is a lot of sifting through big numbers and big data to figure out what makes sense and what does not. I have used a lot of that in different ways and a lot of making things work in astrophysics involved writing my own computer programs and things like that.
0: That is so cool. And that is one of the things that I absolutely love about you and one of the reasons I brought you on today is today we're going to talk about um, Etsy and a lot of just different things that Etsy rolls out like new features and different stuff like that or just their terms of service, different things where sellers may immediately jump to like freak out mode, jump to certain conclusions. And anytime Etsy rolls out something new, I always go to list because she lays it out and tells us exactly like why they're doing it, the logic behind it, the, you know, analysis behind it and why it's going to be beneficial to, um, you know, makers and sellers on Etsy. So that's what we're doing today.
1: <laughs> yeah. I also have been selling on Etsy since 2006, which incidentally is when Etsy started selling on Etsy.
0: So oh, Wow. I don't know that I realized that. I knew you've been selling for a while, but I didn't know you were like there from the beginning. You're an OG. <laughs> yes. So between
1: my ability to kind of dig through things from the viewpoint of a programmer in analytics, I've also just watched it evolve over time and kind of from that point can see the long view of, well, of course they're doing this because we did this other thing 12 years ago and
0: it was a terrible idea. Yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. Look, is there anything specific that you wanted to jump into to start? Um, like to kind of talk about initially the new seller badge? My <laughs> chance, yep. That's the, newest, the newest thing. So let's start with that. <laughs> so this, the star seller badge, the star uh, seller badge. Okay,
1: yep. They announced that over the summer. It is kind of to replace the old system that was um, ODR or order dissatisfaction rate. The ODR system had been in place previously, I'm not sure how long, but basically most of Etsy. It was fundamentally a black box, meaning you can't look inside of it and see what's going on. And it was also sort of a punishment system. So if you had a certain number of orders that were late or a certain quantity of bad reviews that was a percentage of your reviews or a certain number of cases, Etsy would scold you. And if you uh, got scolded a certain number of times in a row, they would shut your shop. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing because you want quality sellers on Etsy. So if you have a bunch of sellers who always have cases or have an average of say two-star reviews, That's not necessarily a seller that you wanna keep on Etsy, but the pandemic made it very difficult because buyers were opening cases left and right for non-delivery because the postal Mm -hmm. system kind of exploded on us. So they looked at the whole system and they disabled ODR basically at the beginning of the pandemic and tried to figure out a way to improve it. So instead of a punishment system, we now have a reward system called the star seller. So now um, there's certain parameters that you have to meet in order to qualify for it. And they look at your account once every three months, so every quarter. So if you don't meet the qualifications on September 1st, you can try again in three months. So you have the next three months to improve and see if you make it then. Uh, Conversely, if you meet it on September 1st, you can lose it again in three months if you don't continue to meet those qualifications. But it's basically just answering messages on time, shipping orders on time and having good reviews.
0: Okay. And, um, does this affect your, your, your search ranking? Like this, is there any effect on those that actually, cause it's an actual badge that you'll get on your listing, correct? Like it'll be visible to buyers. So the first step with it is it will be a
1: little badge on your name and your shop that says Star Seller. Just like right now, you'll see a little badge on listings that says Free Shipping or Top Pick, stuff like that. It'll look just like that, says Star Seller. Um, you will get a bit of a boost in ranking, but it it's not going to be like the biggest boost ever. And the boost will depend a lot on What people are searching for so if you're in uh say wedding decor that's one of the most competitive sections on etsy that boost won't necessarily get you as far as if you were making like punk themed coffee mugs which is a really specific thing that you could search for that would get you a bigger leap because there's less competition
0: Okay. Now this was, uh, you and I are part of a lot of different Etsy groups. This was not very receptive to makers. So do you have, I don't know if it's like a word of advice or um, in regards to a lot, a lot of people were very, very upset about this. So what, what would be your advice there?
1: So my first piece of advice on this is it's really important to remember that anytime Etsy makes a change, they do it because they have a really solid reason for it. What you see every day in your shop or in any groups that you're in is not going to be representative of what Etsy as a whole deals with every single day. Throughout the pandemic, Etsy received a giant influx of new sellers, primarily people who were making masks, which is Mm -hmm. awesome. But they also, as part of that, received a huge influx of people who were really flaky makers. There were massive amounts of shops that got, huge quantity of orders, and then never ship them out. And this isn't the first time that has happened. There's been other giant spikes in Etsy where they get a bunch of new sellers and then they can never fulfill the orders, or they make a bunch of really bad items and ship them out. So Etsy had to find a way to instill trust in buyers and show them. So we may not see that every day, but that doesn't mean that that problem doesn't exist. So we as sellers have to place a little bit of trust in Etsy that if they say there's a problem that they're working on, that that actually does exist, even if we don't deal with it.
0: And, and just for, for perspective, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it was like around like 2.3 million and it jumped to like close to 4.3 million or something like yeah, six million. And like in 2020, it almost doubled the amount of, of sellers on Etsy. And, um, I remember during the pandemic, there was a lot of grief, grievance about, um, they were, what was, was it, they were stopping shops from their listings being available because they had so many open orders. So again, that probably correlated with other shops, not doing what they were supposed to, even though that shop may particularly may have been. Right. Uh,
1: this happens a lot during the holiday season, but then it happened during the mm-hmm. pandemic overall. But it's really common during really busy seasons on Etsy for a new or new-ish shop to come in and, say, get two or 300 orders and then just sit on them and not ship them out. So Etsy, when that happens, will come in and freeze your shop from being seen in search until you get your orders down to maybe a dozen or something so they can see that you're actually sending orders out and then you'll show up in search again. And if that happens to you, it can feel like you're being punished from Etsy for succeeding, but they just want to make sure that you're actually capable of sending it out. Because if you had 300 orders out of nowhere, and then tomorrow you have another 300 orders, you wouldn't necessarily be able to keep up with that pace. So it's in everybody's best interest for Etsy to kind of pump the brakes on that and make sure that everything's okay. So they're they're really just trying to make sure that everybody has a good experience.
0: And And I think that's something that's very important to point out just because like you may be, um, you know, an excellent seller. You're never late on your orders. You, uh, communicate with your customers. You get, you know, great stars, but you have to remember that that's not the case for every, every seller on Etsy. And if somebody typically, if somebody has a bad experience on Etsy, um, do you agree that, some customers come in and they view Etsy as like a whole, like they don't necessarily view individual shops. So if they have a bad experience, more than likely they may not come back.
1: Absolutely. So my primary demographic, as far as buyers go, is actually first time Etsy buyers, primarily older women. So retired women who have never shopped on Etsy before. And when I communicate with them, it becomes very clear from how they word things to me. Mm -hmm. They don't realize I Lists, I'm not Etsy (laughs) Inc. They think I am Etsy as a whole, and it takes a lot of communication. Often for me to explain to them that you know I can help them with the items in my shop, but I cannot help them with the items in some other person's shop because they'll send me a link to like a baby shirt from somebody else and say, "Can you customize this too?" I'm like, "Oh, that's not my item. I you have to talk to that person," and they Mm -hmm. don't understand that it's a completely different human being that they have to talk to. And they thought that I was Etsy. And I think that's a pretty common perspective from people. And also just, if you have one bad experience, why would the other people necessarily be better? You know, you uh, aren't obligated to give people a second chance in that aspect. And I think that is often overlooked from people as well.
0: Okay. Now you brought up seasonal sales, holiday sales, especially, especially Christmas. So I opened my Etsy shop and my sales are phenomenal, like amazing during the holidays. And then January comes and my shop is dead and I freak out. Let's talk about that.
1: (laughs) So we have a saying in retail that you stock your shop in the J months. So January, June, and July are always dead for online sales because we just finished With holiday season, and then we just finished with like Easter and Mother's Day and stuff like that. And school is out, and you're you don't do a bunch of online shopping when your kids are in their first couple of weeks of summer break. You don't do a bunch of online shopping when your house is still full of crumpled wrapping paper and presents. You're you're exhausted and you don't want to buy things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it. It's a cycle and it's not just a cycle for online sales. Every retail environment has it, but the the months will vary. If you're a wedding shop, your uh, cycle might look quite different. I see wedding stores comment that, uh, you know, October through December are dead for them, but January through March get super busy because people are done with the holidays and now they're focused on what are they gonna buy for their wedding.
0: So it can be different for, for industry. Um, but we see this a lot. And, and that's secrets. people, you know, January comes and they don't, they don't understand. They don't understand that why they were, you know, making daily sales over Christmas and now everything's dead and they think that the world's over. And so what would be your advice there?
1: My advice would be that you are not going to make the same amount of money every single month, even once you're an established shop. I I have roller coasters throughout the year and it doesn't matter if I'm an online store or a brick and mortar store. It is not realistic to expect to hit the same target every single month. And that means that you're going to hit that really exciting high of hitting your December target and feel over the moon. You have to understand that that means the next month your high is going to be maybe half of that. and that's just the way it works and you didn't do anything wrong you that's actually being successful and go through i would say for a new seller go through one calendar year and see how you do and then next year set a goal to do higher but maybe not make it a dollar amount maybe make it a percentage amount
0: and you're talking month to month like so because because that is true you mentioned january june and july and i think for for me in my industry i had um July was one of my best months. So when you talk about going through a year, going through a year, seeing how your shop performed during those months, and then working on a percentage for each of the uh, each of those months, um, because I think what what do you think the assumption is that people that Etsy changed something and now their their items no longer showing up in search, um, like what when it comes to makers kind of um, freaking out about you know going from this high now to this, nothing's happening. Where do you think that freak out comes from? Like, what do you think they think's caused it? You know, the biggest assumption I see from people is that the seller themselves
1: did something wrong. That for whatever reason, they didn't notice a change in SEO that they should have noticed or they didn't notice a change in Etsy that they they like missed an email and they didn't change all of their titles or something. So just, you did nothing wrong, you're doing everything great. Just sit and hold on tight and see what happens over the next couple of months. And then next year, maybe aim to do 10% better in each month than you did the year before. And the tactics that you'll use for that will be different month through month.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, Let's talk a little bit about um, fees. Because we see a lot of times that, you know, especially new sellers, they come on, they post in in the groups, and they're like, "Okay, I sold the item for this, but why did Etsy take so much?" So I think when we talk specific, excuse me, specifically about fees, we're also possibly looking at, um, you know, Etsy ads and then offsite ads too. So we kind of just talk about the potential of fees and the reality of. Um, I think it's important to note that a lot of makers start on Etsy and they don't have a super large awareness about other, either other platforms or owning your own website. So I want to talk a little bit about the reality of what Etsy is actually charging versus what you would be charged, you know, else, elsewise, else somewhere else.
1: So the fees on Etsy, um, are very straightforward. They are listed in the handbook, go to the handbook and read it. Uh, it will vary a little bit depending on what country you're in okay so uh the payment processing fee percentage does vary depending on your country so check that out but for the most part it's a flat uh, five percent fee plus a credit card processing fee if you live in certain countries there's also a vat on top of that i think but You have to pay a fee on your item and your shipping on the item. As I mentioned earlier, things that you might not see doesn't mean they don't exist. You pay a fee on the shipping because once upon a time on Etsy, you only paid a fee on the item, and the shipping was fee free. So people scam the system and they would make the item like fifty cents and the shipping a hundred dollars, and Etsy went. Oh, hey there.
0: Cause I was actively selling when that happened. And I remember being PO myself and that was, so that's why they did it.
1: Yeah. It was super wow. common for people to gain the system that way and make the items super, super cheap. And then the shipping really high. And then they didn't have to pay the fee on it. So oh. now you pay the fee 5% on the item, 5% on the shipping. It doesn't matter if you ship with Etsy or not. There's several Etsy fee calculators out there online. They're all basically the same as far as like, they're going to give you all the same number. So they just display the numbers in different ways. So pick one that makes sense to how your brain likes to do math. And uh, if you're new to Etsy, use them, learn them. You're going to have to pay a fee absolutely anywhere you sell, unless you sell like cash out of your car. And the fees are pretty cheap because Etsy is paying to bring you customers. They cover you if there's fraud, they cover you if there's a chargeback. They do marketing. Like we see, I've seen commercials for Etsy on my TV. Mm -hmm. My fee covered part of that. I can't afford to put a commercial for my shop on. TV like that's and when you look of- at it
0: in that perspective it's actually one of the lower lower uh, uh, fees charging fees like one of the lowest platforms as far as that goes when you think about like you said marketing like they're doing all of that for you. Um, yep. And I think too that and this is an episode we're gonna get into later in the series but learning how to price price you know your your products so that you're incorporating you know accounting for those those fees. Now, what what do, um, let's talk about Etsy, Etsy ads and um, offsite ads a little bit. Um, so those how, are go ahead.
1: <laughs> two separate things. And I see a lot of people act as if they're the same thing. So to start out, Etsy ads and offsite ads are definitely different. So an Etsy ad is when you do a search on Etsy for an item you'll see at the top of the search, something that says promoted listing, that's an Etsy ad. An offsite ad is if you're on Facebook and you see an ad for Etsy, for an item and you click it, that's an offsite ad. It's also on a bunch of other places, but it's something not on Etsy and then you click it and go to Etsy.
0: Okay, so with um, let's talk about offsite ads quick, because I think that's been something that's getting a lot of, a lot of heat with Makers. You're seeing a lot of talk about it inside of groups um it's if you and correct me if i'm wrong if you have revenue of over ten thousand, like you're automatically put into it is that correct i it's around ten thousand. yeah okay so you cannot turn it off That's and right. then i'm seeing a lot of freak out in regards to um the fees that are being associated with that so can you talk about what what those fees are and how that that works
1: With, with an Etsy ad, you pay a a certain amount of dollars every day for clicks. And this is the same with any other ad, like a Facebook ad or a Google ad.
0: You know, you pay the money for Etsy ads on Etsy, right?
1: You pay a certain amount of dollars and people click, but there's no guarantee that people buy with an offsite ad. It's the other way around. You pay a percentage on the ad when someone buys. But if people click and never purchase the item, you pay nothing. So with an offsite ad, Etsy takes the risk of the ad because you do have a risk when you pay an ad because people will click and not buy, right? Mm -hmm. So Etsy pays for all the clicks. But you pay
0: when someone buys. And as if they um, clarify this for me, this is actually a question I have is it if they only purchased that, so the ad that they, the listing that they clicked on through that ad, if they purchased that within 30 days, Etsy gets their fee, or is it if they purchase, if they click an ad and you sell anything in the shop within 30 days from that same, same buyer? So it's anything inside of your shop. Okay. So
1: the idea is you got a Facebook ad for an item. They click it. But it's not quite what they wanted. But underneath it, that seems like you might also like this item in blue. You click that, and they buy it. They would not have found that blue item without the offsite ad.
0: Okay. And what would be because I think that's where makers tend to get a little little frustrated and, and and upset. So can you can you explain to us why it's actually benefiting benefiting makers um, offsite ads and the fact that they are requiring it if you have over $10,000 worth of sales and how it is beneficial to makers.
1: So the big thing for makers with the offsite ads is there's absolutely no financial risk for us. I see a lot of people complain with the uh, Etsy ads because it is a gamble. You can spend as much money as you want every day and get clicks on all of those dollars and get zero sales. So you're just throwing money away and not making anything off of it but with an off-site ad, you're just paying 12% when someone actually buys. So if you have your pricing set correctly so that you can take the hit of an ad purchase, you're just getting extra sales that you would not have had anyway. And Etsy is requiring it for our sellers over $10,000 so that they can have basically a good pool of ads because it's, it's assumed that if you make over $10,000 a year, you're selling items that people want. So mm-hmm. they can be reasonably sure that those items will go out into the world and people will want to click them. And, and then you'll be placed next to other items that people will also want to click. So it kind of rises all of the boats in that aspect. And the, I think the big reason why people get upset about it is just pricing issues. It can mm-hmm. be a little difficult because you have to, you don't necessarily know how many items in a month you will sell from an offsite ad. So you do have to kind of average it out. Mm-hmm. But I think the big thing is a seller should not be afraid to price a high a little, you know. You're worth it. You have to count for all of the things that you have to pay for. Just add a buffer of 10 or 15% to whatever you had before, and it'll cover it. You don't have to assume that 100% of your items would be an offsite ad purchase. Just go up a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's that's great advice. And I actually, I think the, the best point that you made there was that there's no risk um, to the sellers with offsite ads. They're just bringing you, bringing you more sales. And essentially, even if you take that 12% out of that sale, that was a sale that you would have had elsewise. And you, you know, as long as you're pricing properly you made made money that you wouldn't have made. So that was a great great when point. they when they introduced it,
1: um I did have to increase my prices, but not a lot. I think I on average increased my price somewhere between 50 cents and $2. Like mm-hmm. I don't think anybody noticed.
0: <laughs> well let's talk about that a little bit because you're talking about increasing pricing to account for um, you know, just fees in general, we're talking about increasing pricing to account for offsite ads. Um, and now let's talk about increasing pricing for, um, free shipping or free shipping over 35, because that still gives us a boost in our ranking, right? It does. So
1: I have free shipping over $35 enabled, and that does give you a boost in ranking. You also get a boost in ranking for any single item in your shop that has free shipping outright. So if you do not have the free shipping over thirty-five dollars enabled, but you have some items that are free shipping, those items will get a boost. So it does both.
0: Um, okay, so I'm going to play as the devil's advocate here um, with my shop. I sold wood signs. Um, there was no way that I could have could have done the free free shipping. Um, if I was shipping to my neighbor state of Georgia, it may have costed me $14, whereas shipping to California sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, cost around 40 to $50 to ship a sign. So there was really kind of no way that I could essentially account for, for that or raise my prices, you know, 15 to $20 more in comparison to my competition. So what is your, um, Is the boost enough that we should be worried about it? Like what's your advice there? Because I think that that really hit a lot of makers. They felt it was unfair that now people were getting rewarded for something they felt like wasn't potentially feasible for them to achieve or for them to do.
1: So I think the most important thing is to remember that not every single program that Etsy rolls out is going to be beneficial to you. It's not necessarily going to punish you if you don't participate but it also won't necessarily be useful to you. So for a lot of the woodworking shops that I know, the free shipping program just did not make sense. I also saw that it did not make sense for a lot of wreath makers, because if you have the big bulky wreath box, you're going Mm -hmm. to have the same pricing problem. But what that means is all of the other woodworkers and wreath makers are also having the same problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Not turning on that free shipping isn't really going to hurt you if everybody else providing a quality product is also not turning it on. If a few people turn it on, which inevitably they will, they're going to be in the promoted listing. But that's not every single listing. That's just a couple of listings towards the top. So if you have a good product with good SEO, it's still going to be on the first page and still going to rank towards the top when people are searching for the thing that you're selling.
0: You so kind of just blew my mind with that, honestly, because I, for myself, I had never thought about it that way. So you're talking woodworker, that option is not going to necessarily be feasible for feasible for anybody. So the people that you're competing with in search aren't going to be using the feature either. So who's really getting the boost when it comes to the keywords that are being searched? Where it's really useful is when
1: I, co- I make a lot of coffee mugs. So for a coffee mug maker, we can totally do it. So then it's a very competitive market for having the free shipping over 35. So we all turned it on. So in Mm -hmm. that particular group, it made a ton of sense for me to have it on. Okay. So in that group, absolutely. But I sell other items where absolutely not, I'm not turning that on.
0: So you just have to. And that's interesting because I think sometimes we think about Etsy as a whole versus, you know, breaking it down to your industry. Like if you personally don't feel like something's gonna work out for for your business, then more than likely it may not work for your industry as a whole, which when you go to search and you, you show up in, in ranking, then it's being affected the same, the same way for all, everybody in your industry, for all of the listings that are showing up. That's a great, great perspective.
1: So with my coffee mugs, I did have some of the variation that you mentioned in pricing. Um, it costs between four and $8 for me to ship a coffee mug, depending on if it's going to like Chicago or Boston. Uh, I increased my prices by $2. Okay. So I just took somewhere in the middle and put it up and called it a day. So yes. So you make um, some on some and you lose some on some. And it absolutely evens out. Yeah. And Etsy recently changed their search so that it favors people near you. So that means I sell more coffee mugs to people who live two states near me than I do to people who live
0: five states away. That's awesome. So yeah, so you're not necessarily losing as as much when you look at meeting in the middle. Mm -hmm. That's really, really good advice. Um, Did you have any other thing, anything else to add about shipping in regards to shipping?
1: I guess I would just not be afraid of meeting in the middle. I think that's one of the most important things that people are scared of, of, yeah, I lost 50 cents on shipping on that one sale, but I'm going to make $3 on shipping on the next sale. You have to look at the big picture shipping, not every single sale.
0: Okay, moving on. Let's talk about um, negative reviews um, destroyed your shop. You have five-star reviews. You've got hundreds of five-star reviews. You finally get that three, that one, and you freak out and you think the world is ending because now you no longer have your five-star rating. Let's Let's talk about that. So, I have about
1: 2,500 reviews on my shop. I am a five star rated shop, but I definitely don't have 100% five star ratings. <laughs> <laughs> I have some awesome one star reviews. <laughs> I'm really
0: That's some awesome. I love that. Awesome one star reviews.
1: <laughs> Where they just rip me apart. <laughs> She's the worst ever. And there's, there's nothing you can do about it. Like you're not going to please everybody. Mm -hmm. And And that's not necessarily
0: a show of your work or, you know, you as a person. I think that's one thing that makers like definitely like take to heart is, um, it's a direct reflection of them personally.
1: (laughs) My grandmother always told me that what other people think of me is not my business.
0: (laughs) That's perfect. I love it.
1: (laughs) So. When someone leaves me a bad review, I do, of course, message them. I try to fix it because if they had a bad experience, I, I, I want them to have a good experience. Sometimes I can fix it and sometimes they change their review. That doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes I jump through every single hoop in the whole world for that customer and they update their review and keep it at one star. And you're just like, oh, the review really is a reflection of the person who left it. You you can see their mood, what they're upset about, and it's not usually what they write about. And how you respond to the review is a reflection of you and not the person who left the review. I don't like the responses that I see from people that are like, "Well, if you would have told me this, or if you would have asked me that," I'm like that's not really a good reflection of your customer service skills, maybe. It, the response really should be left to talk to a future buyer and just kind of explain how you can learn from what the review said and do better for people in the future instead of venting yeah. how they were wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, or how they didn't read the description or, yeah. Um, now, a lot of times, you know, you open your shop, you get a ton of, you know, five-star reviews, you start getting, we talked. with you and I have talked about high volume before. You start getting more orders, more orders, and then that you know, four-star review comes in. And then a week later, that three-star review comes in, and a couple of weeks later, you get a one-star. And again, that reflection, you feel like that's a reflection on you because you spent all these months getting five stars, and now what's happening? So let's talk about the reality of that vault the order volume increasing and and how that can affect potentially affect your actual star rating? So
1: you get reviews on somewhere between 10 and 25% of all sales. You might fall outside of that range, but on average on the internet, people leave reviews for 10 to 25% of all transactions. People are more inclined to leave a review for a bad experience than a good one. This is true for Etsy, and literally everything else on the internet. If you had a bad experience, you're pissed and you want to tell somebody about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but if you bought a pair of shoes and you're happy about it, you don't necessarily need to shot that from the rooftop. You're just happy about it and you go on with your day. So as you increase volume, you're just going to be casting a wider net to people who are purchasing from you. You have to remember that not everybody who purchases from you Is your friend. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, you know, not every customer is going to be a friend for life. You don't know that person. Your interaction with them is limited to them purchasing an item from you. You don't know every person you have personally purchased things from, you know? They may not like you or they just may not like what you made. And as you continue to grow and discover more people, you're just going to discover more people that just don't mess mesh with you. And that's a morally neutral situation. Yeah. And it's okay. And four-star reviews are still great. Even with the star
0: seller program. <laughs> and I think that's important to point out, right? Because a lot of, there's a lot of people out there that will not leave five-star reviews, even if they had, cause you see that a lot. Like I got a four-star review but they had nothing but wonderful things to say in their review. So can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. A lot of people will leave a four star review because they feel that a five-star review has to knock their socks completely off and blow their mind. And I don't think I could ever
0: impress somebody that much. (laughs) (laughs) Like if, if they, yeah, if they're giving you, you know, telling you wonderful things about your product and they leave a four star, that's probably just, just who they, who they are when it comes to leaving a review.
1: Yeah. And again, it's not a reflection on you. It's just them. And yes, that has an impact on you, but you are doing something that is a two way street with people. So there's going to be things other people do that impact you that you have no control over. And that's just
0: what you signed up for, I guess. And, and when you're talking about that no control, let's talk a little bit about um, people leaving, you know, negative reviews or contacting you and immediately there's like this mentality that immediately sellers want to think that they're trying that they're trying to get a product for free or they're trying to scam them in some way.
1: It's an interesting viewpoint and I see it a lot from people. It's not one that I share. I tend to assume that people are telling me the truth until I have a really strong reason to believe otherwise. Um, I have over 10,000 sales on Etsy and I've had a decent quantity of people who've had issues one way or the other. It's pretty easy over that amount of time to suss out who's scamming me. I think I've had three people (laughs) scam me since 2006. Most of the time when people tell me they have a problem, if you just take them at face value and communicate with them, They'll provide information that backs up what they said. If you just go, oh, I'm so sorry that this happened. Can you tell me a little bit about it so that I can prevent this from happening and fix the situation for you? They give you information that completely checks out and allows you to do exactly that. And I think people get so attached to what they made that the idea that there would be an issue with it seems impossible to them.
0: Yes. Can we can we use your grandma's advice in this situation too? Like, (laughs) you know, like what they do or what they're what you what they're doing is none of your business. Just do your business is how you handle the situation, right? Exactly. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I was always taught that even if they are
1: scamming me, I'm just going to do my best and and try to fix it. If they happen to be scamming me in the process, that's their problem.
0: Yeah. That's on them. But
1: I, I really don't encounter scams all that much. They certainly do happen, but my experience with that is it becomes pretty clear that it's happening and they tend to be kind of extra about it. Like, Oh, my package got lost three times in a row after being delivered, you know, that kind of thing. Um, If you just work with people and try to find something fair for all parties, people tend to be pretty
0: cool about it. Okay. Um, I like that comment, the the fair for all parties. Let's kind of talk about that in regards to, um, I think there's, at least I feel it's a misconception, um, but when you own a shop on Etsy, once you ship that product, it's, it's out, out of my control. Like, I made the product, I shipped it, I'm done. Let's talk about that.
1: <laughs> well, according to Etsy's term of service, when you signed up, it's up to you until it's been marked delivered. Right. So you can make all the terms of service you want in your shop, but Etsy will override that if your policies go against Etsy's policies.
0: And then... Um, You also, as a seller, have a choice in who you choose to ship with, correct? You do. So by default, in the
1: United States, Etsy allows you to purchase Etsy labels with uh, Post Office and FedEx. But you can print a label using whatever service you want and then just upload the tracking information into the order. So if you, for some reason, wanted to use DHL to ship from Michigan to Georgia
0: you totally could and then just yeah. put the traffic number in I don't know why you would but you could
1: and I just um, always
0: kind of found that odd because or just the, the perception of it because if you think about yourself as a buyer and if you bought something from somebody and it never arrived or it arrived damaged and they in turn said hey I made it I shipped it it's out of my hands like that would piss me off like I would I would be mad as a buyer, right? I would be or, so mad. I, w- mm-hmm. I would be
1: calling my credit card company the moment I stop talking to you and I'd be filing a claim because that's still their problem.
0: Yeah, so putting yourself kind of in the buyer's shoes. And then I also find that a lot of times sellers don't feel like it's their responsibility to either make that claim with, with a USPS or to just make sure. I always see it as they purchased a product from you. And until they receive that product um, in the condition that it's supposed to be what they purchase, then you are still responsible um, to that customer, correct?
1: Absolutely. The only time I don't file claims for customers is if I'm shipping to a different country and I just don't know how to file a claim there. Yeah. I had someone lose a package in Slovakia and I was like, you have to file the claim. Yeah, there's nothing I can do on my end. Claims aren't hard. I mean, they're actually pretty easy to do. I've done plenty of them in time. And if something gets marked, delivered at the wrong place, you can request the GPS coordinates on the package. Um, Because when they scan the package mark it delivered, it gets the GPS from the device that scanned it. And it'll say exactly where the postman was standing. And you can plug that into Google Maps and see if it was that person's house or not. And and you can see if it went to like a neighbor's house or something. And I don't know why people are scared of that. And the other thing I don't understand why people are scared of is if you run a business, you're going to eat some loss. That that's just part of the game. I see a lot of sellers say like, "Oh, if I have to remake this, I'm going to lose money on this order. If I have to reship this, I'm going to lose money." Like, okay, you're going to lose money on this order. It got lost or damaged reship it. You're out $20. Like, okay.
0: Big picture. You have to look at the big picture. And I agree with that. Cause I see a lot of people, they're willing to put the claim in, but then they won't do anything for the customer until like the claim gets back. And that's just not how I you know, ran my business. If, if I needed to put a claim in, that was, that was on me. It was on my business to handle that situation, to follow through with it. And then I made sure the customer got their um, you know, replacement or refund, whatever the situation was, um, because that's like you said, that's part of running running a business. Absolutely,
1: and I I think that sometimes people aren't just prepared for that. It's not like I have these issues every single day, uh, but they op, they pop up every once in a while. I think so far in twenty twenty one, I've had two, so this isn't a huge yeah. issue, and I'm not going to get stressed out over replacing two orders. And if you're losing a bunch of them, then that means you have to look at what you're doing and figure out what you can fix to prevent that from happening.
0: Yeah, if you start seeing repeating patterns of of certain things, how can you make adjustments?
1: Yeah. I had that happen a couple of years ago where a certain product kept getting damaged in shipment and I was losing a ton of money. So I put it in a different type of box and I've had one damaged in four years since then
0: from. All learning process. Okay, you mentioned back, you mentioned terms of services a few few minutes ago. So a big thing that we're seeing, um, I feel like I've been seeing a lot more in the past year, um, is shops getting shut down for no reason. Um, So let's let's talk a little bit about some of the, the terms of service that we see. Um, and, and honestly, a lot of it is people do not read the terms of service when they sign up. So they really aren't aware of what they are and are not supposed to be doing. And then their you know, shop gets shut down in their eyes for no reason because they didn't read those terms of service. So what are some of the big ones that we see um, often? And what is the reality behind that? Well, the first one I want to mention is, is copywriting and trademark, yes. which we're not lawyers, by the way. Right?
1: <laughs> You are running a shop on Etsy's platform, but even if you were running a shop on your own platform, you could still get shut down. I want to emphasize that first because again, unless you're running it cash only, you are using some sort of credit card processing company. So any of them, even if you run like a WooCommerce on your own, your credit card processing company can totally freeze you for this. So don't think you're exempt from this if you DIY it. So uh you you cannot use other people's trademark copyright intellectual property, and make your own stuff. Straightforward. This is a weird concept for many people to grasp because you can go to like Joanne Fabric and buy a bolt of fabric that has Disney princesses on it. But just because it's readily accessible to you doesn't mean you have permission to sell things with it.
0: Into prof- profit off of that. You can buy that for yourself personally to make something for yourself personally, and then turning around and selling it is an issue. Um, but, Liz, everybody else does it. So, my favorite <laughs> analogy
1: for this, and I think it is just the best, is think of it as a speeding trap. Mm. Because we can all drive on the highway and go over the speeding limit, but we're not all going to get caught every single time. But somebody will get caught today. Is that going to be you? I don't know. That's a
0: perfect analogy.
1: <laughs> because every time a listing gets taken down on Etsy, some human being had to file a complaint on that one listing. And it takes like 20 minutes to do that. It's, it's a process because they don't want people to file spite takedowns and false takedowns and stuff like that. So you have to really go through some hoops. So there is a whole team of lawyers at Disney and a whole team of lawyers at Warner Brothers that do nothing but file takedowns for stuff like this. It's just physically impossible for them to take down every single listing. But there's also reasons why you might legally be able to sell something Disney. Let's say it's a vintage item. So they can't do a thing where the word Disney is not allowed to show up on Etsy. Etsy is also a neutral third party, so. They can't defend copyright on their own. Otherwise, they would have to defend literally every single one.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that would that would be too much.
0: So is that why Etsy's not taking them down?
1: Right. It's the job on their own. Yeah, it's the job of the entity that owns it to take it down.
0: Okay. So that so Etsy will get involved when it's been reported, but they're not going to go searching through all the, you know, all the shops and listings to handle it themselves. That's right.
1: I got a couple of takedowns very early on when I didn't know any better. They were from Gerber uh, for the very famous onesie term. Mm. And I actually spoke to an attorney at Gerber who was very nice and just explained to me the whole process, just as I explained it to you and said that, you know, someone from Gerber had to go through and do a takedown on every single listing that had the word onesie in it. But there's reasons why you can use onesie correctly, such as using an official onesie Gerber. So those are allowed. Therefore they had to look at each listing and see if it applied or not. Okay. I didn't and realize after,
0: that. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: And then after um. I got the takedown notices, Etsy was like, okay, so you've had a couple of these. You, you're fine. You've learned from this. It was an innocent mistake. Everybody gets those and your shop isn't full of like Harry Potter stuff. So we're not worried about you, but If you make this a habit, we're going to close your shop. They didn't give me a line in the sand of how many. uh, I think someone at Etsy looks at your shop and kind of gets a vibe as to whether or not, you know, is your whole shop just stuff from other companies or was it just a handful here and there? Like it's kind of a squishy metric.
0: Now, is this kind of similar when it comes to, I'm kind of getting a little off topic here, but I know that there's been a lot of um, talk and heat about uh, reselling. So when it comes to Etsy and reselling, is it kind of the same concept? Like unless it's being reported? Yeah. Um, Etsy
1: cannot physically monitor every listing. They have uh, keywords that will pop up that they'll flag and go look at the listing, but reselling that's basically impossible so the only way they notice is if someone flags a listing or someone opens a case against the seller because they got the product and realized it was a resale and so then someone from Etsy will go to you know that store and kind of look at it and gauge whether or not it looks like this was a
0: one-off or if that's the only thing they sell now do you think time as far as sellers go time is better spent working on your own shop and focusing on your business or going around and uh, reporting your competition?
1: So I will say I do occasionally report shops, but it's only when I'm actually looking for something to buy and stumble into it and go, Oh, this is not okay. I don't look at
0: my competition. I don't,
1: I don't even know who my competition is. It's not worth my time.
0: Yeah. I don't care. So it's more it. as a buyer perspective. Like you're going through to try to find something and you're like, hey, this person's going to get, this person, you know, isn't following terms of service. It's more of a buyer yeah. perspective, not necessarily competition as, perspective.
1: Yeah. As a buyer, every once in a while, because I do buy on Etsy regularly, every mm. once in a while I will stumble across something and just go, oh no. And uh, I'll report that. But you can't report copyright things unless you are the copyright owner. So if you're surfing Etsy to buy something and you find Harry Potter stuff, it's not really your place to report it. Like you can't. So surf on
0: by. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That's a, that's a good point. I want to talk about competition a little bit because I see a lot of, especially new sellers are just so focused on their competition and what their competition is, is doing. And do you feel like, so for me personally, I don't necessarily feel, I think we should be checking out what our competition is doing in regards to, it's almost like, let me peak. But then I see like, I've and I've, I'm guilty of it myself, but I've seen some people where they go and they peak every day and then it becomes like this constant, like worry, like we should be seeing, we should be checking price point. We should be keep comparing um, certain logistics when it comes to it, but these, these sellers that are just so focused on their actual competition, like what's the reality of how that's going to affect your, your business personally. So it's really important to remember that we are all at a different point
1: in our journey. So if you are brand new shop, even if you do everything perfect, depending on what market you're in, Success might be one or two sales a month because it's just that market. Maybe it's really difficult to get into. Maybe you have to grab an audience, but you might go into a different niche that's really small and has a wide demand. So you could make 50 sales a day. It really depends on what you're doing. Where a more established seller, maybe they have a million followers on Instagram. Like who knows? They would have a ton of reasons for getting a bunch of sales you can't look at the whole picture of what another seller is doing because we cannot possibly know what another seller is doing. We don't know how much money they're spending on ads. We don't know if they're sending out emails every day. Like we just don't know. No, none of the tools that we can use to look at Etsy can show us that entire
0: picture of our competition. And I think that's important to mention because you'll see a lot of people say like, their titles and tags are horrible. Their SEO is horrible. Their pictures are horrible, but they have 10,000 sales and I can't make one. Like, what am I doing wrong?
1: And one of the biggest boosts that Etsy will give you for SEO is making a sale. So if you have been on Etsy for 10 years, your SEO did not have to be as good 10 years ago because the pool of sellers was much smaller. So a sale will keep selling. And that might feel unfair. And I don't really... Feel it's useful to argue whether or not it is, but there's no real point in looking at that listing and like complaining about it because there's a lot of different metrics that go into that listing selling well.
0: That's especially, a very good point. Especially like OG bold- sellers, because it was a lot easier back in the day.
1: Yeah, when I I see a lot of posts on the Etsy groups of like how long after you joined Etsy until you made your first sale. I made my first sale on Etsy the day I opened my shop.
0: Mm-hmm. I think mine was in the, within the first week and this was back in 2015.
1: Uh, it would be way harder today. Absolutely.
0: And and probably what you think like weeks is reasonable.
1: I I mean, I know there's a lot of
0: factors, but
1: yeah, I like to tell people to expect it within the first two months. It'll depend on what you're selling, but reasonably within the first two
0: months. Any other um, terms of service um, being broke that you're seeing that's getting getting people's shops shut down that, that sellers may not necessarily be aware that they're making that mistake?
1: I think it's just the concept that Etsy has terms of service that you have to follow regardless of what your shop policies are. So I see a lot of people who will say, well, I set my shop policies to be XYZ, but Etsy shut me down because I didn't like that and they refunded customers. But Like you can't set your shop policies to break Etsy's terms of service. So you can't, for example, force a buyer to pay to return something to you that arrived broken. If it arrived broken and you want it back, you have to pay for it. That's just part of your responsibility as a seller. So if you do stuff like that and if people file cases against you and Etsy finds in favor of the buyer, and tells you that you must refund the buyer, you must refund the buyer. And if you just ignore it because you feel that you were right and you wanna stand on that high horse, your shop will get shut down. So you have to work with Etsy. That's part of the price that you pay for all of the things that Etsy gives you, which is customers.
0: Yes, they just hand you them on a platter. (laughs) Seriously if you if you work outside of Etsy if you live beyond Etsy you know how hard it is to bring bring those customers in. Um, did you have anything else that you feel that would be, you know, relevant to talk about where you, where you see makers getting really upset about certain things that are going on on Etsy and the reality of it isn't as as harsh or as upsetting as it, as it should be? Did you have anything else you wanted to add today?
1: I think I would just say that is really important to remember that Etsy's best interest is that buyers and sellers have positive experiences, have reliable vendors to be able to sell to reliable buyers. And things that Etsy does are done in that best interest. Everything is done on a long game. They make decisions slowly and everything is done with the intent of a positive experience. So something that can feel very frustrating and that might make our lives more difficult, we should just take a step back and look at the bigger picture and see how we can make it work for us or see if it even applies to us. I've seen so many big changes at Etsy since I joined and every single time people get stuck in their little tiny bubble and we need to really take a step back and like look at the whole big picture and then just keep your head down and do good work, because a lot of the changes don't really impact us at all. Because if you were doing good, you were already doing good. Like you weren't cheating, you weren't scamming. It didn't apply to you anyway.
0: Okay, and I think I think that's that's important there because we don't we don't necessarily we don't talk about that side of it. We don't see necessarily see that side of it. Um, and what would you say to people who feel like? Etsy's all about making money. So all they care about is the buyers and they don't care about their sellers at all because we see we see that comment uh, made a lot, especially when new things are rolled out, that Etsy does not have the seller's interest at heart. All they care about is the customers and get, getting money off of the customers.
1: Without the makers, there aren't buyers to exist within the Etsy bubble mean, there will always be sellers who leave Etsy for one reason or another, but part of having a solid buyer experience is having consistent sellers on Etsy. And Etsy really wants to be able to have buyers who go back and become return customers to the same vendors on Etsy. And that has always been the case. If shops are constantly closing, that loses trust from the buyer's perspective. So in order to make money, which Etsy absolutely wants to do, they have to make both sides of the buyer and seller seesaw happy.
0: And I want to close the episode with, I want you to give us one piece of advice, like being a OG from the beginning, if you could offer up one piece of advice, what would be your advice to new sellers or seasoned sellers that are struggling? Um, what is your one piece of advice to thrive on Etsy? Try not to get overwhelmed about the concept, but you really
1: have to take it seriously. This is is not a place to just throw pictures up and throw basic information up and assume people are gonna buy from you. you. You really have to put your heart and soul into making everything look nice and good descriptions and sound good, make your shop store front, representative of who you are as a person and a brand and if you can demonstrate that you believe in what you're doing as a business that's how people come and buy from you.
0: I love it thank you so much Les for joining us today and sharing your excellent expertise and providing um, just a more sound logical um, I mean I'm not even actively selling right now and I feel more at ease and comforted <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Are you dreaming of making daily sales? Learn three steps that will help you attract more customers and make more sales for your handmade business at attractmoresellmore.com. That's attractmoresellmore.com.